Evan Braun is a Canadian book editor, novelist, and journalist from Winnipeg, Manitoba. From growing up evangelical to pursuing a career in faith-based publishing, he has spent the entirety of his life walking in Christian circles, thinking deeply about questions of spirituality, science, meaning, and personal significance. I briefly crossed paths with Evan over 20 years ago at a church and Bible school in Huntsville, Alabama. Unbeknownst to me at that time, Evan had come out as being gay and was in the process of coming out as a non-believer of the faith and traditions in which he grew up. In this conversation, Evan demonstrates that it is possible to be true to oneself without having to fight. Living your best life, whatever that is for you, can be done with graciousness, kindness, and inclusion, even when you are surrounded by those who have different points of view from yours. If you have ever had your own coming out or are in the process, whether it be religion, sexuality, or any other area of life, this conversation is filled with gems that may be quite useful to you. Welcome to Guilty of Heresy, being true to you. Evan, let's start with the topic of religion and taking it back to your early years. So as you were growing up, what role did religion play in your life? And in terms of the family you grew up in, and then what was it like for you? So, yeah, that is a loaded question. I know, right? <laughs> get into it. <laughs> yeah, I like to jump off at the deep end. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that should keep us going for an hour. Uh, right? <laughs> the, um, yeah, so I, I grew up in a family where like, my dad was a pastor. Um, but he wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't only the pastor. He was also like the mayor of my small town and he owned like the main, like the main restaurant where everyone came and gathered. And so it was, uh, I felt like all, all the time, I always felt like our family was very high profile, but so our, yeah, but like we, it was a very evangelical church, very charismatic, very much all of the all of the, the 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 praying in tongues and the the falling down on the floor and you know moving in the Holy Spirit, all of the stuff that that more liturgical Christians kind of raise their side eye at a little bit, and that yeah. that stuff is all that was that was all just like completely perfectly normal to me growing up, and um, it was only really later in life that I would sort of connect with other Christians and they would kind of be like, that is like, that is a completely unfamiliar mode of belief. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. They, they couldn't always relate to some of my stories, but yeah, some of that, that very charismatic, very high energy, very spontaneous energy was, yeah, it was always part of my upbringing. Yeah. That was, um that was mine too. I joke now and I say we yeah. were one step away from snake handling. <laughs> But no, I've thought about that. <laughs> I've thought about that. We were, yeah, one step away. Yes, we didn't actually have the snakes, but we did everything leading up to the snakes. Um, and I totally track with you of, I, I guess that's what it is for all of us when we're born into something, you don't know different until you do know different. Was there ever so that sort of recognizing, wow, not everybody does this in religion? How old were you approximately? Were you high school or younger or? I mean, so I, I was always vaguely aware that there were, because we came from a small town that had like seven churches. Right. <laughs> so, 
Um, I was always aware that other people did things differently, but I don't think I was terribly intellectually curious about what those other, about what that all looked like. But it, it probably wasn't until, um, I probably didn't put any any real heavy thought into it until we connected with some some family that lived in the in the states, actually in South Carolina. My my dad's sister lives there with her family, and and we were we were there for Christmas, and we went to their Christmas service, and it was like high Episcopal. So we went it was, so we went there, and it was like a beautiful cathedral like building, and they had. They had the like the incense and and the, the chanting and the hymns and like all of the liturgy, which I had I had literally never experienced liturgy before, and I felt like mm. it it felt it it was beautiful and strange, and right. also I felt myself being a little bit judgmental about it because as mm. you may be able to relate to, when when you come from that that really that really charismatic background, they do really look down upon the liturgy and feel that that kind of holds back religious expression. I don't feel that way anymore, but certainly yeah. when I was growing up, I, I remember taking that experiencing in and thinking, I wasn't really at the time thinking about how beautiful and meaningful and significant it was. I, I felt this is really limiting. Like this is, is this, is hmm. this all that there is? Yeah. Later on, I look at that and I think to myself, that was a beautiful experience, but I think in the moment I wasn't thinking of it. I think wasn't thinking about it that way. Yeah, it's interesting because as you said it, when you've known one thing uh, yeah. and then new information starts to come in, it takes a minute to catch up to it. And I, my, my story with that, I was in college. Well, actually I was a senior in high school, but in my first year of college and I took a class, physics class or something, and we had to write a paper and I wrote it on evolution. I have creation versus evolution, of course, taking the creation yeah. perspective. That's all I'd ever been told, you know, and you just yeah. didn't even, you didn't even look over there. You didn't, you just don't need to look over there. You don't even think about that's just wrong. They're just wrong. So yeah. I wrote this, this paper on creation and the professor was actually a member of a church, a non-charismatic church, a more traditional church. But he, he called me in his office and he said, can I challenge you? And I was shocked. I mean, here's this Christian past like associate pastor on the board or something challenging me on my creation perspective. And he just asked me so many questions. Well, but what if it's not just one way or the other? What if it's not God created, you know, seven days, but what if there were certain things, what if the Bible was a story about things taking time to evolve? And my whole world was like, Whoa, yeah. it, it took a minute to catch up. So other than that experience with that church and the different style, were there other moments that you recall where there was sort of that sort of niggle maybe of, hmm, maybe it's not what I always thought it was. Do you have any other defining moments around that? Um, I think that, I mean, this one, I guess, is kind of late in the process, but it was a defining moment. I, I remember, so this was at my, this was at my father's church. So I would have been about 16 and it was around that time when people get baptized. Mm. And I don't think I'd ever given it very much thought before, but as I had agreed to get baptized, my dad was going to baptize me. It was, I'm not, I, I think there maybe was a couple of other people in the church at the time who had it, who had that done. I remember feeling weird about it unexpectedly and 
while it was happening, I remember feeling like such a fraud. I, I remember feeling like I was doing this very performatively. Like I was doing this and it was my dad and I had to do it, but I wasn't, I wasn't convinced that there was spiritual significance behind it. I, I didn't feel the thing that you're supposed to feel. And looking back now, I think that is probably a major point of sort of questioning my religious tradition. Yeah. Yeah. It felt super strange, Marnie. Like I did yeah. not know, I did not know why I was doing it, except that it was the next thing that you were supposed to do. It did not yeah. feel real to me. Yeah. So going back from there, would you say, did your religious belief provide, was it, was it all just, it's what we do? And that's that, or did it actually provide a level of security, belonging? Did it provide something of value to you as a kid? Absolutely, it did. Um, well, I, well, as a, as a as a little kid, I don't remember very much. I don't have a huge number of memories. I remember going. So, well, this is very early. One of my earliest memories in life. I was probably like three or four. And I remember that my parents had driven us down to uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma for a, a Kenneth Copeland conference, probably. I've been say. to those. I'm not, yeah. I've been to Tulsa Bible yeah. School, all the things. <laughs> <laughs> and I, my memory specifically was, I remember being in a huge auditorium with lots of other kids and it was Willie George. And I remember he had like like the the Eugene the little green or little purple puppet or something. You're taking me back. You're taking, taking me back. back. Yeah. So I so that's probably my and it's funny because like that's like probably my earliest memory of mm -hmm. all. Yeah. And it's and it's very and it's strictly sort of like religious in in terms like in terms of my development. So later on in life, I found that I'm I, I think this is common for a lot of people but I connected very strongly with the worship aspect of it mm. because it did make me feel the thing I could okay. always connect I could always I always felt like I was connecting to God through through um yeah through the worship songs and through the worship times that was always that was always really easy the rest of it I felt was a little bit more rote because I I it, I, I grew up in my dad's church and I recognized the various types of messages and they were always, always of a type. And so I, you know, I, I recognized yeah. sort of the tropes of my dad's preaching, but mm -hmm. I could always connect in worship. And then I was also like, I was our church's worship leader for several years. And I, mm -hmm. I was always very, very engaged in it. I was, I never felt like I was performing in that yeah. sense that felt very real to me. Yeah. Yeah. I totally track with that. And I, I did some worship leading throughout the years too. And I, for me, my perspective of it now without going too much into it, but is there's a, there's an energy that um, was available there that I didn't yeah. find in other places. And yeah. it was an energy of uh, safety and a peacefulness and absolutely 100% added something to my world for sure. Even, even toward, even later, even later in my faith walk, when I was more or less persuaded that it wasn't for me, or at least, or at least the like the organized religion aspect of it wasn't for me. I I, I went, so I was in my 
I must have been in my late 20s, although I'm at that age in life already where everything starts to blur together. But I think it was my late 20s. And then I, I went with my dad. I drove down to Kansas City. We went to the International House of Prayer. And it was like it was a weekend conference. And we went and and they and they and of course they're they have like the 24-7 worship service that just goes on and on. Mm -hmm. And people are encouraged to just walk in, stay at time, uh, like you know, pray read study just engage with engage with the worship however they want to but i remember we went in there for a few hours and there was a per and there was i was going to say performer <laughs> there was but there was a worship leader there who i remember even even at that late stage where i was i was one and a half feet out the door i, I was at that mm -hmm. worship service and it all flooded back to me and i felt a hundred and ten percent of that sort of spiritual energy and it was it was just as real and present and transformative as it had ever been so i and i'm not, i i feel a little bit like like i've moved a little bit beyond that stage in my life but i still think i could if i was in the right environment i could probably get myself right back there with very little effort like it's it's yeah. still a part of me that that i can that i can connect with yeah Tell me if this if this resonates for you or not, because I've I've looked at that for myself as well a lot. And what I sort of um, and I always say sort of I let me back up. I I really find it hard to say that I have hardcore beliefs about anything. I I would say I'm curious. I'm curious yeah. about a lot of things. And yeah. but what I I've wondered because going back for me there were some very real engaging peaceful moments crazy as my house was it, there was um something it all brought to me but where you said it you said the organized religion and i wonder if there is an energy a thrum a something that runs through everything and then yeah. these churches come along and say well it's this this is the framework or this other thing comes along this other spiritual practice oh this is the framework so Let's take this energy that we all somehow know would have tapped into or experienced in one way or another, but let's decide that these are the rules and how it functions in the world. And here's what you have to do to tap into it again and to have it. And then if you don't, then you're not going to have it. So it's kind of like turning this thrum that runs through the world into business models. <laughs> and that absolutely resonates with me. Because um, the, the thing about the thing about it is. You know, you grow up with your faith system and you just assume that everything you've been told is correct. This isn't just true for faith, by the way. Like you, you grow up, yes. you grow up in, in, in your household with your parents and whatever principles and values they hold, they pass on to you and you hold them and you tend to hold them pretty strongly until you get to your mid-teens and you start thinking for yourself. So this is true for faith, but it's also true for economic systems, for politics, yeah. for like a, a wide range of things. Um, but you're right because I remember very specifically, like, and this is probably common to a lot of people, but you know, the biggest point, of, the, the point where the logic failed was, okay, but we can't have figured it out. Like we say we figured it out and I'm very devoted to this very particular, you know, theological set of rules that I am totally persuaded in, but there's only at most a few thousand people that follow my exact interpretation yeah. and there's yeah. billions of people in the world. Yep. 
it cannot possibly be that there's only going to be a thousand people in heaven, but there's going to be billions of people burning in hell for all eternity. This doesn't make sense. Right. So yeah, at some point you do land, you do land on the kind of concept that you have, which is that everybody's got to be tapping into something. Mm -hmm. What is it is maybe undefinable. Um, we try so hard to define things and it's such a futile process. Like I think humans yes. are pattern seeking, right? Like we all just yeah. want, you, you talk about like the boxes, everyone wants yep. to come up with their own little set of, sets of rules and everyone's rules are yeah. different. Cause like, we feel like we need to, it's the, like our spirituality is this big amorphous thing and we want to define it and we want to make it crystal clear and uh, we're uncomfortable with yeah. We're uncomfortable with the unknown and it's scary. So we just want, we just want to make everything concrete. It can't be made concrete. Like it just can't. It can't, but it is. It's like there, we seek the security of, oh, I have it figured out. And we set that over here. And one of the and most influential books for me was the Velvet Elvis with Rob Bell. I don't know if you ever read that book. I haven't read it, but I, I kind of know all about it because yeah. it was actually when I was at Impact School of Ministry and there were some students who were super into that book at the time. So it was all the rage. Yeah. It was all what he was talking about. Yeah. So you so you mentioned the tapping into the worship service and you, you said you were almost really out the door anyway. So was it mostly just you just brought up the the logic of the heaven and hell thing so was it your own thought process that ultimately led you to make the change or were there people in particular or things you read or heard or friends and conversations that it's 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 things i read so i have a very i i have kind of maybe maybe it's unusual but so so when i was still a hundred percent bible believing uh, Bible believing person, I, I started editing books for a Christian publisher because mm. that's my, that's my professional background. And so, but yeah, my niche just kind of developed, you know, Christian books because that's where all my, yeah, all my contacts were there. Um, and still to this day, I am now 41. I started that at like 24. I still primarily edit Christian books. I don't really think of myself as a Christian anymore. But it's interesting because I can't help but feel on some level, and this this sounds kind of terrible in a way, but I don't mean it to sound terrible, but in a way, spending 17 years editing Christian books kind of made a little bit of an atheist out of me. I don't really call myself an atheist, but I mean, it just it just deconstructed my beliefs super thoroughly because I realized very early on that you know you could have I could I could work with a hundred clients and I have hundreds of clients, and if you put all of these people in a room together, they would kill each other. Yeah, because none of them have the they're all passionate enough to have written to have written their book, and they're passionate enough to defend to defend it. And everybody is going to disagree on the particulars. And it was it was that moment of realization where I'm like, okay, yeah, for sure. Like these these kids can't all play on the same playground, but they yeah. all call themselves Christian. They all give themselves the same label and and yet they're not the same thing. And yeah. that and so working, so for me it was definitely reading and it was and it was and and I love my job and I love my clients yeah. and 
I so appreciate that. But that process really caused me to deconstruct over a, a long period of time what my beliefs were. Yeah. So would you say, well, first let's let's go to um the atheist. You said not necessarily, but what yeah, what is God to you today? So, and today. I you know today, yeah. So there was a period of time where I did feel comfortable calling myself an atheist. I got really into Richard Dawkins for a while. And I remember I read a whole bunch of those books and like they, that felt profound because mm -hmm. I was encountering a, uh, I was encountering a worldview that I had never encountered before. It felt very, very freeing because I could really identify, I could really identify my thought processes with what, with what he wrote about. And I, but the thing that I never did quite connect with, the thing that I could never get there with is I didn't ever have a bad experience, really. Like a lot of people had bad experiences with church or with yeah. organized religion. I really didn't. I drifted away from it. But there was there wasn't a there wasn't a church that hurt me. There wasn't a pastor that offended me. I've I've worked for a couple of different churches. I still work for a Christian organization, and by and large, those have all been excellent experiences. Mm. So there was always this sort of antagonism in in sort of the atheist literature that I read that I never that I could that I never really felt. Yeah. And so I think I I never quite got to the point where I was like, no, I'm actually an atheist. But there was a point in time where I was sort of leaning in that direction, and then I leaned back. So now oh, today it's hard to say it's a little bit yeah. of this it's a little bit of that yeah it depends on the it depends on the day it depends on the hour it's very it sounds so wishy-washy but it, it doesn't yeah. to me actually I to me and I I see why you'd say it but to me it's um it's the willingness I heard I think it was Deepak Chopra say or Chopra however you say his name um all belief is a cover-up for insecurity and I really oh, that's so good I know, right? I and I that before, but I love it. Yeah, I really thought about that when I heard him say it. I was listening to him live on something. I was like, "Wow!" And interesting enough, I think it was a, a sort of a debate sort of situation in a very Christian environment, and he was speaking about his very different view, and he was brutally treated. I mean, it was they were verbally attacking him. But when he said that, I just went, "Wow." That's really true. If I if I have to believe something, I'm 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 looking for some security, and it's a cover up for the insecurity. So I actually love the space of maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Yeah. I'm curious, and I don't have to know. And I also with you, I've, our journeys are very similar with the whole God thing. And yeah. I will say that um, I had gone into a restaurant in the little town in in Minnesota that I lived in, and there was a, a girl there that was, this was when I was going away from my sort of Jesus beliefs and seeing things very mm -hmm. differently. And she was hardcore Christian, but I just observed her for a minute. And I went, well, she's a, she's a very joyful person. She's a very kind person. And so for her, whatever she has as her belief, it adds something of value to her life. And so who would I be to question that for her? You know, that's what works for her. And then in evangelicalism, we we always had it drilled into us yes. so many times that you will you will see the fruit of it. You will recognize people by their fruit. And that was that's always a, that's always been a cornerstone. And it and it's a painful one because I remember 
looking around at the people that I was surrounded with and thinking, yeah, but I can't. Like I, yeah. I the, these people I'm with, I love them. They're my friends. They're my coworkers. But what they have doesn't necessarily seem like super special, different from like, yeah, from like the other people I know in other circles. Yeah, you know, there are people out there who are who seem like they've got it really all together and they don't believe in Jesus at all. So it's like yeah. it's like what what you said about yeah. I, so yeah. I remember that that actually that you will recognize a people by their fruit. I mean, I that was so confusing to me for a while because it, it did not confirm the, right. the the evangelical ideal that it was supposed to confirm. It did the yeah. opposite. Yeah. It did the, the opposite. And the one the one for me was this is the only place that truth exists. Truth exists here in this framework. Yeah. And it was going to college for me where I went, hang on. Um, no, I see truth over there and I see kindness over there. And I see all these things over there. You told me it was only here. Nobody else had it unless they lived according to these rules and these principles, but yeah. that's not true. And yeah. yeah. So deconstruction time began. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, so many, I know I recognize, I recognize this in a lot of the Christian families that we grew up with, or, you know, the, the, pe the, the people that I grew up with, you know, there was always, or there was often this, you know, everybody wants to, I mean, you're a parent, but like, you, you can yeah. maybe relate to that, but like every, every parent want their kids to sort of have their own belief systems. And yeah, I, I mean, people, you try to, there's a, there, you try to sort of protect your kids from all that, that outside stuff that, you know, even if you don't say it out loud, you know, it doesn't all confirm the thing that you want, the, the conclusion yeah. you want them to reach out. So you kind of, you kind of protect from that, but then at some point you're in college and me, I'm out yeah. in the world and, and all yeah. of a sudden it's unavoidable. Everybody's that has to come to that point of, of realization and, you know, and do with it what they will. Exactly. But, yeah, exactly. So as you were sort of, you know, questioning things and letting go of some beliefs and, you know, just being different with all that, was it, did you keep it to yourself? mostly and what i mean is maybe the people that knew you your family your church friends did you keep it to yourself was there a point where you started to speak about it it was yeah so that that that's complicated there's not a particular time yeah there wasn't so so i when i was in when i was in college in canada this was before i moved down to huntsville but when i was in college I was still a believer, but I, but I came out as gay to most, most everybody that I, that knew me. And then I got the job down in Huntsville and I went back in the closet hmm. and then, so I, I, I was familiar with this idea of like coming out, but then uncoming out. Hmm. And then I went down to Alabama and I lived down, I lived a very different sort of life while I was there. And then I kind of came back and I re-came out. And then I realized that as I was deconstructing my religious beliefs at the same time as that, I realized that, oh, this is exactly the same. This is this is exactly the same as coming out as gay, coming out as a non-believer, yeah, or a or or a really uncertain believer, amidst 
all these people who, who like all my relationships were Christian people. And yeah. like, this is, this is just as scary as coming out as gay because I am terrified of the rejection that yeah. I might feel now that, you know, oh, we're actually, cause it's tribal. Yes. Organized religion is so tribal. Yes. And I'm basically saying, I'm basically announcing, okay, I'm not part of your tribe. Yeah. What does this mean? What and does that, that mean? And that doesn't go very well. And so, so, so then it's a process and there wasn't any particular point where I reached, you know, because, because my beliefs did change gradually and I, and my level of uncertainty does vary from day to day. It's not really, you know, I, I don't yeah. know that everybody that I sort of came out that way to everybody. I can say for certain, I never had a conversation with my parents, for example. Yeah. That, uh, that I don't, that I don't believe in, in this particular, you know, set of evangelical, you know, yeah. principles. Anymore. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever, that was, that would be uncomfortable and I avoided it and they never asked me about it. And that, that never really asking about it probably was great. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so grateful for them because they, they probably yeah. sensed that this was going on and they didn't want to create distance. Yeah. So we still talk about, we still talk about spiritual matters. Yeah. But it, they don't always make it personal, which I always appreciate that they, they're always very, very relational and yeah. so important. That's really cool. Doctrinal. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that makes a big difference. But and I mean, how cool for you to also not have to fight against to prove something that you're different now than you were. And so there's just no fight in it. And that's beautiful. Yeah, Very there's beautiful. no fight in it. But like my social circles did change. I mean, yeah. you know, they changed after I came out as gay and they changed again as I was gradually transitioning out of my out of my really firm uh, religious beliefs. You know, you just. Yeah, they do. You just well, drift away. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you, you, the the common ground from which you come from yeah. is is just different. Yeah. So, did you know or wonder that you were gay while you were still in the belief of Christianity? Like, what's oh, the hundred percent? Because I, uh, I, I was, I remember having. I remember having those thoughts and figuring that out internally as early as like 12. Yeah. So that was, so that, yeah, that I always, so Did those, that, so, so those two worlds coexisted in me for a solid 10 years. And until so I was, in my was your church heavy on the anti, was it not talked about? Was it, what was the, the, the culture, if you will, I don't think they talked about it very much. It's not talked about. I'm sure that you had, if it wasn't like they weren't preaching from the pulpit about it. Thank yep. goodness. Yeah. I'm sure if you would have asked them about it, it would have been, it would have been what all evangelical Christians are kind of known for. Yes. <laughs> but like, it would have been anti, but we didn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't preached or if it was, I, I, I somehow missed it. So I don't know. I so, which is one of the, which is one of the reasons I can still say that I, I never really had a bad experience because. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. So would you say as for two, two questions. Yeah. As a young man, so setting the religious part aside, how was that for you recognizing I'm gay? And then yeah. how was it for you as a young man in the Christian circle, recognizing you were gay? 
Was it conflict? Was it, what was your process with those two things? Well, I say that I didn't have a bad experience with church and that's true, but I mean, it was uncomfortable. It was right. very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like uh, I, I knew that these worlds didn't coexist easily. Yeah. I, I, it was very important to me somehow to this yet. Yeah, so it, it, it felt very important to me to prove that they did coexist. And one of the reasons that I was worried about coming out as a non-believer was definitely related to, I don't know why this is, maybe this is a normal thing, but I did not want people to draw the conclusion that I wasn't a believer because I was gay. I didn't want, I didn't, I didn't want people to draw a cause, draw that causation yeah. that caused the thing. Cause yeah. I, I felt like these were separate and unrelated non-gay yeah. people fall away from the faith in like all the time, every day in huge yeah. numbers. And I didn't want people to look at me and go, oh, this is yeah. why he was sinful. This is a consequence of that. And I hated that. And I think I stayed sort of closeted as for a longer period than I needed to because I didn't want I didn't want people to think that. Of course, you can't control yeah. what people think, but that's what that's what we're yeah. doing. No, I get that. If which one was harder, coming out gay or coming out non-believer? If or are they just very different? They're no, they're the same. Like I really okay. feel they're very they're the similar. Same. Okay. And coming out as a non-believer was harder. Yeah. And I still haven't fully done it. <laughs> That's the yeah. thing about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, that was harder for yeah. me for sure. Well, part of it was that actually my 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 family, my, my parents were excellent about me coming out as gay. That was that was never, that was never, I mean, I, I worried about it as all young gay kids yeah. do, but I, it actually just went really well. So I, I didn't, there yeah. wasn't a lot of drama associated with that, but there, I mean, there was some small amount of drama spread over the years about walking away from church. So there was certainly more internal conflict about that. So I would say that one was harder. Was harder. Yeah. yeah. Can, so the reason I reached out to you was, well, yeah. I saw a Facebook post that you wrote, right. which was beautifully written. And um, I also, I don't know, I just followed your, your things on Facebook and I, I loved seeing your pictures of you and Joey and just, um, I didn't know you, but I knew yeah. of you. And I, yeah, I was right. actually at the, the church that your dad was associate pastor of for a while in Huntsville, Alabama. So we have connections from years ago, but right. um, do you mind if I read this? What you Yeah, wrote? go ahead. I took off the little first part, but it says the first year I moved out on my own, my friend Liz brought me this poster and it's a picture of Orlando Bloom as a yep. gift on this day 20 years ago. And it is even now far and away one of the best gifts I have ever received. Not because I was then or am now a huge Orlando Bloom fan or anything. No, it's about what the poster represents. I vividly recall how this poster made me feel. I can feel it in my bones, putting this up on my wall for anyone to see when they came to my place was powerful, a statement that I was openly gay and wanted them to know about it. I was sometimes tempted to take it down, such as when a family member dropped by. I don't think I ever did. As a result, the poster and yes, Orlando Bloom's dreamy, dreamy face has a very strong connection to the rolling angsty quagmire of complicated emotions that is associated with my coming out years. 
and it's beautiful. And two things I, I, from based on our conversation, I think um, it has a similar thing to coming out as non-believer because you've just said they're very much the same. But the part that really struck me is the tempted to take it down, but choosing not to. And yeah, yeah um, trying to see what my question is. Because when, when you talk about like the way it is with your family and things, there's no fight in your world, but there's also no need to hide. And yeah. there's a certain amount of courage that that takes. I think it's a lot easier to fight to prove or to hide, but to actually expose without a fight, even when it's maybe you're shaking in your boots a little bit, takes yeah. a little bit something different. Um, maybe what what was it like if you can remember a time when someone was stopping by your apartment or somewhere where there was the little bit of, um, this person's probably not going to like this choice. Was there something, yeah. what, what, how did you like, walk me through what that was like internally for you? I'm sure it was a matter of the first time it would, it would have just been a matter of like, like my mom dropping by for a few minutes or something. And I'm like, okay, there's no secret here. I've come out to my mom, but there's something about seeing Orlando Bloom staring at you from the wall that's like gonna, it's really gonna kind of like confront somebody yeah. with this with this reality in a way that might be uncomfortable. And it it might be less uncomfortable if I just take that poster down for a minute, because right. it might just it might just make everybody just feel a little bit more like the old days and nothing's changed and we're the same people that we've always been. And then yeah, choosing not to do that. Yeah. 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 Well, it was a very, a way, as I said, beautiful. In a, way. in a way, in a way, this podcast kind of functions in a similar and a similar role to that Orlando Blue poster because, yeah, there's some people out there that I haven't had some of these conversations with. It's yeah. certainly possible that they right. could all of a sudden see this and be like, "Oh, I didn't know these things about Evan or the way he right. thought," or or maybe an editing client who uh, you know assumed that I was on the same theological page with them, where where I might not be. But, you know, with editing, you can't always be on the same theological page with everybody because there's just so many theological pages. So, yes, you know, you you, you just sort of get on board with what a client is trying to say and you just try to optimize it and help them say it the best way. But they might they might assume something about me that isn't necessarily true. So, yeah, even just agreeing to talk about this on the podcast kind of, yeah, it kind of functions like the poster a little bit. No, I get that. And and thank you yeah. for, thank you for saying yes to it. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. So what, um, when you were transitioning from like your friend circles changing mm -hmm. because you were changing, was yeah. there a time where you kind of felt alone with all of it or were you able to quickly find new circles or what was that? Like? I, think I, found, I think I quickly found new circles. So, cause I, I, when I came out, it was the year it was, it was a year and a half, I think, after high school. So I had, I, and I, I lost some of my high school friends. I'm not sure if I, see, it's kind of complicated because, of course, you drift away from your high school friends after high school anyway. So I, I can't say right. that it's because yeah. I came out as gay. There are certain people that I never talked to or really saw again. It might have had something to do with it. It might not have been. There are a couple of people who I told who 
were very awkward about it. And then I never really connected with them again after that. So yeah, it might've played a role, but those were always relationships that I was moving away from anyway. And then when I was in college, I was, I was, I was merging into a different circle anyway. So there was, fortunately, there was yeah. not a point in time where I felt like, uh, yeah, like I was the only, like I was the like a little stick figure at the center of a Venn diagram that didn't include right. anyone else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I kind of avoided that and that because, but you're right. That loneliness is, I know other people for whom that isn't true, that they did go through yeah. that and it's very tough. Yeah. Well, you, you said it, it's very tribal and tribes um, kick you out when, when you don't adhere. And yeah, totally. yeah. Yeah. And I honestly have conversations I've had with a lot of people that they stayed with something way longer than they actually found it congruent with them because of yeah. that element their whole life was built around that was their friend circle and that was their everything yeah. well I I it was I mean it was years ago but I was I don't know why it struck me as as a novel idea because it's it really shouldn't have been because I, I'd been through all of those same things I could I could relate to it but I remember somebody was telling me I don't know very much about this so I'm only going to mention it mention it in passing but I you might know more but I remember there was like it was a, a support group an anonymous support group for for Christian ministers who no longer believed, mm. but all of their education was like they'd gone okay. through seminaries and Bible schools, and and their mm. entire work history had been church. And you know how do you how do you change careers in your fifties, right, or something when all you've been is a church pastor? And now every time you get up in front, you're just lying through your teeth and feeling like a horrible person because right. you don't feel any of it anymore. And it's just, it's just an, like an inspirational performance you're putting on. How do you even look people in the eye? Yeah. But how do you transition out of it? Because, because of the tribal nature of it, like your marriage could be at risk, your relationship yep. to your kids, your relationship to your just brothers and sisters and all the people in your church. Like you're, 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 you're screwed. Like you're yeah. talk about being alone. You're going to be really alone. Yeah. The yeah, foundation remember, of all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the foundation yeah. of everything. So yeah. I remember sort of reading about that and thinking, this is a really important resource. I'm so glad that this exists because me too. Yeah. 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 People do require that. I had someone say to me once too, she went through her own journey of deconstructing her faith and she was a, you know, Bible school to the core, very yeah. evangelical witnessing to, you know, she was going to save everybody. And yeah. then little by little, she just went, wait. But she said to me one time, she said, sometimes I miss it. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, it was such an integral part of my life. I raised my children that way. It was my social circle. And there was something comforting of, I could just give it to God. And now I don't have anybody to just give it to. And she said, sometimes I just wish I could go back. And I find that a, a very vulnerable and um, you know honest statement. And I get it. And I, I guess my question to you that was not my experience, but did you ever have a, was there any part of it that you missed or something that it did provide that it took you a while to find it elsewhere? Good question. Um, 
By the way, this is this is just a restatement of the Deepak Chopra thing you were saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, because you miss it because it was so clear and it was so secure, and you didn't have to worry about things not making sense. Yeah. Because your yeah, religion was was the was covering up the insecurity. It was it, it, it's exactly like that, right? It is. Um, yeah. Did I, but did I go through that? I think that I didn't in a way because I so reveled in the unbridled joy of throwing off the burden of those, of those, of those things that I didn't believe anymore. It was that same period of time when I was sort of reading a whole bunch of like, of like the atheist literature. And I remember thinking, oh, Wait, no, this is okay. Yeah. I'm I'm a grown ass human adult. I don't have yeah. to I don't yeah. have to tell these lies to myself anymore. Like I I don't believe this and I don't have to pretend like I believe and it was so freeing. I yeah. there were there were a few months there where I felt like I was walking on air. Yeah. And so I don't think that I I feel like a yearning to go back to that place, but boy oh boy can I understand it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Same, the same for me. Yeah. I was, I felt free also. And it's kind of, for me, it was somewhere it's, it's hard to say. Cause when you, when you see it and you're looking back, it's easy to, it's yes. a different view than when you're looking this way, but I somewhere knew something just wasn't quite right. While there was a tangible thing that I felt that I knew was somehow real. Yeah. But when I started to really just ask the questions and as you said, look at the, hang on, this, this hell thing, I'm a mom. Well, never, I don't care what my kids did, send them to eternal torment forever. That's insane. Yeah. So when, yeah. I, th I think about that a lot because, um, yeah, I, 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 I know I, I once edited a book, it was years ago, but it was very, it was very much this idea of, you know, you know, raise your kids in the way yeah. they should go and like their whole lives, you know, they won't depart right. from it, which of course is like, if, if there is any lies in the Bible, that's the worst one. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm so convinced, like what, like what a recipe for heartbreak and disappointment yeah. it is to sort of lay all, to, to lay all your eggs in that basket that yep. somehow you are going to be able to control your children's destiny by by living the right way or doing the right things because like man you just can't your kids are going to do their own things and you know hopefully they're going to you're going to have a good relationship your your, your yeah. whole lives and you're going to grow old together and you know they're going to you're going to be close you know regardless of what happens but chances are they're not going to be exactly like you and that's yeah. And that's going to be painful. Yeah. If I think you about that as a gay it, yeah. person all the I think about that as a gay person all the time because I know that I like I'm in my 40s and living li literally living the best years of my life. I am I am so happy at 41 with how everything has turned out, but I am keenly aware that this life is not the one that my parents imagined for me. Right. And there is probably I have a great relationship with my parents. I love them. I see them all the time. I just got back from having lunch with them a few, like an hour ago. So we we are tight. Everything is so good. But I know 
that there is still probably a little bit of grief, probably somewhere at the back of their heads that they still, that I'm not, that I'm not married and they don't have grand, grand, I mean, they have grand, but like, yeah, that that I don't have that because, you know, according to their ideal still, that's probably, that's probably the target to shoot for. Right. So, yeah. Well, and then you take parents who are not as, I want to say, um, open or as focused on the relationship over the ideology. And I know parents like this and their kids leaving the faith, becoming non-believers, they're tormented because in their belief system, and they are fully committed to that belief system, their kid is going to be in hell forever. Then they believe that. So the, the suffering that that belief creates for someone coming from that rigid point of view, I I can't imagine living with that every day. I really can't. Existential crisis for somebody. Yeah. Um, it, it, in a way, it's it's just as severe, if not more severe, than the conflict of the child. Yeah. You you have to actually, as a parent, like looking at it from that perspective, you are forced to choose. Yeah. You if your belief is that fervent, you can't have both. You can't have your relationship with your child and believe that they're destined for eternal torture. Even if you try to have both of those two worlds coexist, you are only ever going to be trying to save them from it. Yeah. And that is not going to be conducive to a relationship. Nope. So it's, it's either or you're going to have your family or you're going yep. to have your faith, but probably you can't have both. And yes. that is the worst yep. choice that that, that a yep. person can be forced to make, right? Oh, totally. Um, and it's like you said, if if you're going to hold on to the faith and the point of view, then your kid is going to have to distance from you because you're going to be trying to get them to do something different all the time. And that's just conflict and disaster. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's it just so uncomfortable at all the time. And you just, yeah. you're, any relationship that exists in that context becomes very performative and very surface level. And like, yeah. you know, we're going to see each other and we're going to talk about the weather and we're going to talk about yep. our jobs. And none of that really matters. Like none no. of that's going to, none of that's going to grow this. Nothing, you know, it's not going to deepen. We're not going to connect. Yeah. So what would you say if somebody was at the place of, um, well, kind of like the the group you mentioned where there's people that they, I always say, once you see, you can't unsee. And so yeah. you've seen and you can't unsee, but yeah. you're not sure where to go next. And I know, you know, you mentioned support group and I think there's a few of those around, but what are some things a person can do to really kind of find their courage or their confidence in themselves to just keep moving one step at a time? What would you say? Well, I, I, I mean, I, we, we, we touched on this before and it's easier said than done, but it's really, really liberating to start forging some connections with mm-hmm. other people outside of your of that of that box that you're in and and even that feels transgressive right because yeah we are like in in the in the charismatic you know in the evangelical well not care specifically evangelical but in that evangelical movement you know we're really not encouraged you know to have very very close relationships always with non-believers because that's dangerous yeah. 
Yeah. So so you kind of have to scale that that fence in your in yourself and 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 just have the courage to do that and um event it's liberating because eventually you you meet other people and you realize that there's this whole other world out there that you didn't yeah. really know but in fact it's bigger than the one you came from that's yeah. the thing the world outside the box is so much bigger than the box beautifully put yeah. beautifully put yeah just and just like I remember one of the one of the things that I remember reading at some point was that uh, in religion, or at least the version of it that I grew up in, God was so tightly defined. Mm. He was he had a he had a very specific role to play. Yeah. But if you if you if you looked beyond the doctrine and the theology and and took a more universal view of things like we talked about before. Yeah. Um God is huge. The universe is huge. There is science is amazing. The there we don't know anything. And yes. Is that scary or is that wonderful? It used to be scary. In religion it's terrifying. You don't want your kids yeah. to open up a science textbook because you don't know what it's going to say. Right. But like it, on the other side it's so fantastic that we don't know what the heck is out there. We don't know what makes the universe go round. We don't know what our what the what the ultimate giant cosmic view of God even is. We can yeah. glimpse it. We can feel it. We can't define it, but there is a joy in that. And so that that was the part that I when I was really investigating science and atheism was that it, it encouraged me to take joy in the unknowns and the vastness of it and just and just being okay with having no earthly clue what was going on and uh and I've I and that's the part that that's the part that has given me so much joy and I, and I, I haven't ever looked back from that so that's what I would say to people who are looking to get out it's like try to try to find little ways to sort of just explore outside the box even in even in little ways I, I it it's easier said than done because it is actually very difficult later in life to form like meaningful friendships with strangers like how do you even yeah. do that your kids kids just uh they connect with other kids so easily like you know you just like go to the playground and all these like like all these kids from random families yeah. you know they just they just like start playing together and as an adult i look at that and i go how does this work like right. you know yeah. adults do not yeah. adults do not relate to each other this way everybody yeah. looks at each other with skepticism and judgments and is trying to and is like overthinking everything but like do we know, have so, enough in common because if we don't yeah. then we can't do this you know <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe you can a, maybe yeah. you can uh and maybe yeah like so yeah just connect with people you don't have anything in common with like you know you just you might learn yeah. something and you might you might all of a sudden discover something that's meaningful that you just had no idea about because your view was restricted before so yeah I don't know it starts small and it gets mm -hmm. bigger over time and it gets easier and easier and eventually you realize that you're not even inside the box anymore. Like it started with a the tip of your finger and then you were up to the wrist and then your arm was extended out of it. And before you knew it, you were just out. So yeah.
Yeah. Wonderfully said. Wonderfully said. Thank you, Evan, for taking time to sit down with me. It's been a delightful conversation. And yeah, pleasure. thank you for, yeah, a lot of gems in the conversation. So thanks to all of you for listening and we'll see you next time.